0: chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, if you turn there, um, if you've got one of these Bibles, it's page 929. Acts chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 1 to 16. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the, Agi- and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas but as we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer and being overcome by sleep he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said do not be alarmed for his life is in him and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost.
1: Speak to each heart the mighty word Father, we thank you this morning that your word indeed is mighty and is all that we need for life and godliness and to be equipped for every good deed. And so, Father, equip us today as you speak to us and as we hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our series in Acts. And the point of our passage today is. God's church needs God's encouragement. God's church needs God's encouragement. Several months ago. Now I watched a sermon on, online and the preacher had a choir sat behind him and he preached a message to encourage discouraged believers and he spoke from those golden words in Isaiah, the Lord gives power to the faint and to him who has No might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It was a superb message But I couldn't help but notice that some of the members of the choir looked unengaged. Uh, One of them looked like she hadn't blinked in about 10 minutes. Uh, Another one was looking all around the room. Thankfully, no one was sat beside uh, a, a window. But every now and then, the video would show the preacher from a different angle. And from that angle, you could see a woman who was engaged. She was frequently nodding her head with eyes closed. You could lip-read her amens. And the visible difference between her and the others was that she was old while they were very young. And my assumption was that she had lived long enough to be cut or scraped or bruised or scarred by life in a fallen world such that she was ready to grab a message of encouragement with both hands. And I wonder if that's where you are today. But the truth is, we all need God's encouragement. We need it either to take with us into hardship or we need it in the midst of hardship itself because living for Christ in an Antichrist world can be hard. Now, in last week's passage, uh, the church in Ephesus was rattled by just how Antichrist the world can be. Everything had been going so well, people were being saved to the left. And the right as Paul preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. But then Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, an idol that was worshipped back then, saw the gospel fruit and he put two and two together. If people keep worshipping Jesus as Lord alone, then my idol business is over. And so Demetrius stirred up a a riot and some of the Ephesian believers came close to being torn limb from limb. And that's where we resume our series today in Acts. Because Acts 20 verse 1 says this. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece or to Archaea, which is where the church in Corinth was. Now, we are not told how Paul encouraged the Ephesian church or the churches in the region of, of Macedonia, but we are given a good idea when we read about Paul's time in Troas or Troy, as we might know it today. And he encouraged them, number one, through the word of God and number two, through the Lord's Supper. And my hope and prayers that I would do for you today what Paul did for them all those years ago, give you God's encouragement through the word of God and through the Lord's Supper. Some of you are discouraged today because you are in chronic physical pain. Others of you are discouraged because your heart is broken. Others of you are discouraged because of the indwelling sin that you cannot seem to shake. And you're here today ready to grab a message of encouragement with both hands. Well, may God bless you through the word of God and through the Lord's Supper, because God's church needs God's encouragement. So number one, through the word of God. Now, in, in verses 7 to 12 of our passage today, we have the memorable, dramatic, alarming, and let's all be honest about it, slightly funny story of Eutychus. Uh, Paul preaches from about evening to midnight. The room is stuffy with all the lamps that are burning. Eutychus drops off and then drops through a window. And the funniest part for me is the bit where having raised Eutychus from the dead, Paul basically walks back up the stairs and says, sorry about that, everyone. Where was I? Oh, yeah. And then just carries on until break of day. If ever a preacher needed a cue to bring a four or five or six hour long sermon to a close, it would surely be the moment someone drops to their death and then is raised back to life again. What an amazing end to a sermon that would be. But apparently for Paul, that just meant it was half time. <laughs> so, so what on earth are we supposed to do with this story? Uh, should we make it all about Eutychus and all about the dangers of falling to sleep In church, friends, I am persuaded that that would be to put the emphasis in entirely the wrong place. Why do I say that? Because the story of Eutychus only illustrates the extent of Paul's commitment of encouraging churches through the teaching of God's word. Remember, as an apostle, Paul's authoritative preaching was God's truth to men. It was divine revelation from heaven to earth. And so the story of Eutychus basically just illustrates just how committed Paul was to encouraging churches through the ministry of the word. There is so much more here than merely come to church caffeinated and don't sit next to a window in case you decide to go long. Instead, we need to be asking the question, why does God's word provide the church of God with the encouragement that it needs. Why is the word of God worth preaching for four or five or six hours, pausing to raise someone from the dead if needed, and then just cracking on until the break of day? Well, I want to give us two answers. Answer number one, because the word of God is the food of faith. The word of God is the food of faith. God's word encourages us because it feeds our faith or it feeds our assurance in God himself. Now, where am I getting that language of the food of faith from? I'm getting it from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember, Egypt was behind the Israelites. Canaan was before the Israelites. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is reminding the Israelites the wilderness wanderers of God's dealings with them and remember what he said, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God's word, Moses says, is more life-giving to you than any earthly blessing because it feeds you with faith in God. God brought you to this place, to a place where his word would have to mean more to you than even the bread that you find on the ground. Why? Because it builds your faith up on the provider of all that you have. And friends, when we taste And when we eat every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, our faith in God grows. And in that, we are encouraged. We're encouraged. That's why Paul preached. That's why I preach. Because the more we eat God's word, the more our faith... In God's supreme goodness, God's supreme wisdom, God's supreme grace and justice and glory and, and love is bulked up. And the result is that we are an encouraged people. And that's what we need to be. God's word is the food of faith. So friend, what are you eating today? What are you, what were you feeding your soul with this past week? Because listen, if you're a Christian, here today then the world is behind you and heaven is before you and we need to ensure that we are living and feeding on every word that proceeds from the mouth of god if we're to be encouraged on the way i want you to think about two pictures of the christian life that we find in the new testament a fight and a race and let's say a, a friend of yours tells you that he's taken up boxing or he's signed up for a marathon. And so you ask him how it's going. And he says, yeah, it's, it's going all right. I've made a, I had to make a few changes to my diet, though. And you say, oh, really, what, what, what changes have you had to make, make to your diet? And he says, well, I'm, I'm doing this diet called uh, the Krispy Kreme Diet. And you say, really? I, I, I'm interested. Tell me more about this diet. And he says, well, I I wake up in the morning and I eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, I'll typically skip lunch, or if I have it, I'll just have something like KFC. And then before bed, I'll eat another dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. So I'm actually feeling really good about meeting Tyson Fury in the ring at the end of the month. We laugh at that. But many of us are feeding our souls with the spiritual equivalent, the fast food junk of this world. And we think we're going to be fine when we meet the devil in the ring at the end of the month. There's a better option. Because when we live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, our faith in the wisdom of God grows and our encouragement grows. Our trust in the love of God grows. Our reliance on the sovereignty of God grows and our belief in the power of God's power of God grows and we are made strong as we're encouraged. So that when you do step into the ring with the devil and he says to you, God has abandoned you. Jesus hasn't forgiven you. You are condemned. You're alone. God is ignoring you. The Holy Spirit is no longer inside of you. You can pound him in the face and break his teeth because the word of God has beefed you up enough to do it. Here's a heartfelt plea. Make the most of every meal. I just want to say to any of you watching online today, maybe you've been watching online. Can I say this to you? Do not watch us merely eat. Come and get yourself stuck in. With this on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. And if there's a meal spread before you Sunday evening, 6 p.m. at the church building, come and stuff your face in the most evangelical way. If there's a meal before you every morning, why would you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to Jesus and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and go to him. Hear that your soul may live. But friends, the word of God gives us encouragement as well because it is all about Jesus. You want to be encouraged? Get around Jesus in the word. Now friends, this is absolutely crucial, what I'm about to say here. Because there is a way of reading God's word that will end up with you having a noose tied around your neck. Why do I say that? The Pharisees and the scribes read the word of God. They read it all day long. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs who outwardly appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones. Why? Because they read it as a text divorced from Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said to them in John chapter five, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life and it is they which speak of me. And with Jesus at the center, this is the way it works. I can read the law of God without boasting in my obedience and without despairing in my failure because Jesus obeyed God's law for me and gave his righteousness to me. And with Jesus at the center, I can read the prophets and I can read of the terrifying wrath of God. And I can know that that's what I deserve. But I can also know that Christ bore the wrath of God for me so that now even the most fearful passages in the Bible can encourage me. Because I can remember Christ drank the fires of hell at the cross that I might drink the blessings of God in heaven. And with Jesus at the center, every one of the promises of God are mine. They're all yes and amen for me because they've been bought with the blood of Christ. And I can read the wisdom literature of Solomon. I can, and I can know that the one who gave such wisdom to Solomon is the one who walks alongside me and guides me and leads me in paths of righteousness and will rein me in when I'm going astray due to my own folly. God's word is the food of faith and it is centered on Jesus Christ. If therefore, that is God's means of encouragement, why would we read or eat anything else? But God's church needs God's encouragement as well through the Lord's Supper. Number two, from the Lord's through the Lord's Supper. You see that in verse seven. On the first day of the week, that is Sunday, the Lord's day, When we were gathered together to break bread. When we were gathered together to break bread. How does the Lord's Supper give the church of God the encouragement that it needs? Well, I want to ask you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the first account that we have of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Go to... Matthew chapter 25, 26 rather. Matthew 26 and we'll begin reading in verse 26. And there we read, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it. In my father's kingdom, and the Lord's Supper encourages us by reminding us of both the new covenant and the new future that awaits all of God's people. Uh, do you remember the, the the old covenant was inaugurated at Sinai, and God came down on the mountain with cloud and fire. And smoke, and as the law was given, the pronouncement was made guilty, guilty, guilty over all the people. But the new covenant was inaugurated at Calvary. And the pronouncement is given there forgiven, 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 if you're in Christ. And his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So that now I don't have to draw back with the people of Israel. I can draw near with new covenant believers. And I can stand in the very fire of Sinai and like Daniel of old be unharmed. Because I'm loved and because I'm accepted and because I'm justified and cleansed and forgiven. And I can bow before God's eternal throne and hear him say over me, You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because I'm a new covenant man, living the new covenant life, cleansed in the blood of Christ. But the Lord's Supper points us to our new future as well, because Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the destiny for you. That's the destiny for me if in fact we are born again. Now, some of you would say to me, Hugh, yes, amen, I agree with all of this, but I don't feel encouraged. So what can I do? And I said at the beginning, some of you are discouraged because you're in chronic pain. And you've been that way for, for months, for years, perhaps even for decades and without wanting to oversimplify how unbearably, unbearably difficult that must be I want you to hear me when I say you can be encouraged at the Lord's table today because the bread and wine says to you Christ has been there Christ has been there you see if we in our sanitized culture Were to see what Jesus endured as his body was broken and his blood was shed, it would take a very long time for many of us to recover. Jesus Christ was scourged. You know, don't you, that many men died during a Roman scourging with a nine-tailed whip that was embedded with bone or glass or pieces of metal, the, the flesh on Jesus' back was torn and ripped and destroyed. And Jesus went to the cross drenched in his own blood. And Jesus was crucified. Roman nails were smashed through his wrists or his hands he doubtless screamed himself hoarse, bathed himself in tears, struggled to breathe, and died as he asphyxiated. And so to those of you who are suffering physically, hold the bread and the wine today and say to yourself, my God has been there and my God is with me today. Others of you are discouraged because you are suffering inwardly and you're suffering from a broken heart you have loved and served and cared for many of the people who are closest to you in your life and now they have lifted their heel against you and you're left there thinking today what did I ever do to deserve this from these people you can be encouraged today because the Lord's Supper says Jesus has been there too. On the night that Jesus broke bread and distributed wine, Jesus washed Judas' feet. Think about that. He washed the heel that had been lifted against him. And beneath the branches of those olive trees, with nothing but the light of the moon with which to see, Jesus knew such sorrow that blood flowed from his brow down his face. And so to those of you who are suffering internally, hold the bread and the wine today and say, my Jesus has been there and is with me in this today. Others of you are discouraged because of the indwelling sin in your heart. You want to shake it. You want to press on in God. You you want to fight the good fight of faith. You want to run with endurance the race that's set before you. And you want to lead others into into liberty and and help them and minister to them. But you feel like there's a ball and a chain around you. But the Lord's Supper says this. He breaks the power of cancelled sin and sets the prisoner free. And you don't need to wait for a perfect repentance before you can be encouraged. You can be encouraged right now where you are in view of the fact that Jesus said, it is finished, forever, done, dusted, over. The word of God and the Lord's Supper are the God-given means of our encouragement. Friend, don't look to yourself Look to what God has given. Be encouraged and rejoice. You know, this past week I read about a pilot called uh, Walter Wyatt. And, and Wyatt one night had his airplane broken into and some of the navigational equipment in his plane was, was stolen. And he was scheduled to, to fly a route that he'd done hundreds of times. And so he was brave enough to do it with just a compass and a handheld radio. He flew into some dark clouds, and his compass began to gyrate. He got lost, and he put out a mayday call before he glided into the ocean. The plane disappeared beneath him. He was all alone in the water, and let me read to you what happened next. It says, with blood on his forehead, Wyatt floated on his back, Suddenly, he felt a hard bump against his body. A shark had found him. Wyatt kicked the intruder and wondered if he would survive the night. He managed to stay afloat for the next 10 hours. In the morning, Wyatt saw no airplanes, but in the water, a fin was headed toward him. Twisting, he felt the hide of a shark brush against him. In a moment, two more bull sharks sliced through the water toward him. Again, he kicked the sharks and they veered away but he was near an exhaustion. Then he heard the sound of a distant aircraft. When it was within half a mile, he waved his orange vest. The, radio, the pilot radioed the Cape York ship, which was 12 minutes away. Get moving, they said. There's a shark targeting this man. The pilot said, and as the, cu- as the Cape York ship pulled alongside Wyatt, a ladder was dropped over the side, and Wyatt climbed wearily out of the water and onto the ship where he fell to his knees and kissed the deck friend if if that man had looked to himself it would have all been over but because he grabbed what had been provided for him with both hands he was a safe man in the end and if we will look to ourselves for the encouragement that we need in the dark clouds that whirl around us in the Christian life and as we seek to tread water on the way to heaven, we'll be goners. But if we take what God has given to us, the word of God and the Lord's Supper, we will know ourselves safe in his encouragement. And so church, why don't we grab them with both hands, not just today, but every day, and press on until our faith becomes sight, and we have all the encouragement we could ever need through the reaches of eternity. Amen. Amen.